Hello everyone, this is Amarjeet Sharma, your host of Radically Inclusive 2.0 and welcome to the second episode of this series. Happy International Women's Day to all who are recognizing and celebrating this day together. Uh, as we may know, many companies, organizations and industries across the globe celebrate with a theme and recognize all that they're doing to support conversations at work on creating an equal space for everyone. Imagine a gender equal world, a world free of bias, stereotypes and discrimination, a world that's diverse, equitable and inclusive, and a world where difference is valued and celebrated. We are making such good progress in the in that space and still have a long way to go and we aren't stopping. Together, we can all work towards forging women's equality, starting at a grassroots level. And to discuss this, my guests for today's special are Daisy Mann, who is a founder of ESAC, which is an Australian South Asian center community and Shalvina Govind, who is a community member of ASAC. They are both doing such an awesome work running this community of impact-driven women leaders, creators, and entrepreneurs amongst Australian Asian women community. And their efforts are being well supported by the local government and many institutes and communities here. I thank you both for agreeing to connect with me and having this chat on such an important day. Uh, so, Daisy, starting with you, would love to know how the journey of ASAC began and uh, how did you find the support to kick things off? Thanks for having us. Uh, I love that you you put this podcast together and that you're one of our, our members. I think it's really exciting kicking off side hustles like this and podcasts are such a great way to just meet and connect with other people as well as, I think, share an important message. We started ASAC a couple, about two years ago now. And it was, there was a few different impetus, the different, different impetuses. One of it was I, uh, went on a trip to England and I was just there for a few weeks for some work and some family stuff. And I just remember there being a really vibrant, um, scene there of women of color, of South Asian women doing some extraordinary things. And actually like yourself, I'd started a podcast when I was there and I went and interviewed a few of these women. And I was just amazed with what they were doing there. I remember interviewing a girl called Shani and she'd started um, Asian Women Festival, a festival that would attract almost about a thousand people to get together in Birmingham to celebrate sort of Asian women and people flew in all over Europe. And I just kept meeting people like this. And I thought, wow, after being here and coming back to Australia, it feels like I've come like 10 years behind where multiculturalism and things still feel like it's top down, like just being put down by the gut, like, you know, it's a government thing, multiculturalism, diversity, equity, but it's not grassroots. It's not supported, you know, by, it's not led by the people. So I thought, oh, there's definitely scope to do something like that here. Originally, I just wanted to move there. <laughs> I went, okay, well, what can we do to accelerate this pace of change here? How can we make it that there's a thriving scene of South Asian artists, of activists? And a really important element for me as well was uh, progressive women. I mean, from afar, I was looking at the whole, um, looking at, you know, we celebrate representation, but is it just representation we're celebrating? For us, it's really important to be celebrating people who align with our values. Uh, you know, at the moment, you have kind of political figures who are anti-migrant migrants who are South Asian. Is that success? I, I don't think so. But so I think it was really important, like, how do we create this community of progressive South Asian women 
and then create opportunities for them. Amplify their voices, their work, promote them, build together as a community. And that's sort of where ASAC was born. Uh, having worked in the startup space, I didn't feel like I needed a ton of support in the startup space. We're very used to just getting your hands dirty, getting started. I've been working in that space for about six years with Deakin Uni and now Melbourne Uni. And I had the like the pleasure to witness these founders just go from zero to a hundred, like so fast. Normally in corporates, you might sit, write a strategic plan. I watch these guys go from zero to six months to like making quite a lot of revenue or raising investment. And I thought, well, obviously this is a not-for-profit, but how can I apply that mindset to this? And so in terms of support, I had a great co-founder, Sahara, in committee, and we just got started. Uh, we're still working out exactly what works for us, but we're not going to stop while we, you know, we're going to keep doing it while we're at it. We keep seeing what sticks, what concept, what programs. We have some basic core offerings like our membership, which you're part of. Um, and then we do events throughout the year. And this year, a big one's Brown Women Comedy. But yeah, that's sort of where it started and then what we've been up to. Everyone, this is so impressive that the core belief for you to kickstart ASAC was not just a mere representation, but really making an impact and what matters the most to your members whilst ensuring you're sticking to the values and at the same time having heaps of fun as well. So, uh, Shalvina, how did you find about uh, ASAC and what made you decide to join ASAC as a, as a committee member and contribute? Yeah, so um, I actually found ASAC on Instagram. And funnily enough, I joined to manage their social media. So um, <laughs> what was, are they doing here? Look, it was clearly being managed very well because, um, you know, I, I always found myself quite engaged with the the content that was being shared. And for me, it kind of came out of, uh, I started thinking about, oh, you know, when I was younger, I wish I had this kind of support and this kind of community or group of women that were talking about these things and wanting to empower each other and create space for us. So for me, I, you know, I followed, I think for about a year and then it just so happened that they advertised for a volunteer position. And I slept on it. And then I was like, you know what? I need to, I need to apply. I might not get it, but I, it's something that really, really aligns with my own core values. And I really wanted to be part of the team and, and, you know, support where I can to help drive kind of change and the difference that I think we can make in out in the community here in Australia. So, um, yep, I applied, had, had an interview with Seha, the other co-founder and, um, yeah, they were happy to have me on board. And I think it's nearly a year now, isn't it, Daisy? I think LinkedIn gave me a reminder of, of the anniversary. <laughs> oh, God, we need to celebrate having Shao on board for a year. It's really brought a sense of more stability. I think very, <laughs> she's a very strategic like operator. She's very planned and organized. And I'm the exact opposite. I'm like, we can get it done by the due date. I promise by the due date, it'll be done. It'll be chaos, but it'll be beautiful because it'll be done. <laughs> Shao just brought a lot of really, pardon? We need both. We need someone who's a planner. Yeah, for sure. Why for did, sure. I didn't realize that until Shao came along. <laughs> we needed so like a plan. <laughs> They have my our other co-founder. She's she's great. She's somewhere between Shell and, and myself. Definitely. She's also yeah. very, very organized, but mm -hmm. not as probably plan ahead of Shell. Definitely a planner. Um yeah. but but yeah, so I, I think I think we're really grateful to have Shell. I think she's brought on a, a different perspective that we probably needed and some some more grounding and, and settling. 
Mm. So I think if you look at, you know, Daisy kind of mentioned, you know, just getting into it, you know, startup startup style, I'm going to call it, working very agile. Um, and I've worked in organizations that try to do agile, but they're just so corporate and waterfall that, you know, it is interesting to try and watch them change that culture and that dynamic. And I think that's something that we're starting to find our footing in, actually, which is quite exciting because you have this spectrum, let's say, right, you know, and we've got Daisy at one end, might the other end, we've got Seha, who is just so um, malleable and she's like the way that she can change her approach and work, um, you know, amazing, amazing person who's part of the team as well. So I think, um, you know, with that kind of dynamic, we're starting to figure out that, you know, maybe we can have the startup vibe and also, you know, more of the planning and, and strategic focus as well that we want to bring in. And I think if we can be really successful in finding the happy medium there, I think there's, you know, potential for the community to grow and for us to do so many more fun and exciting things and really start building um, on that as well. So yeah, my core kind of job I suppose on on the committee has really been managing socials and worked on that with another committee member um, and we drove you know driving kind of community growth followers getting ourselves out there more making sure that we're being picked up in the algorithm which is always can be a challenging um, task um, and then I think you know we've kind of you know, taking a step back now and looking at what where the focus has been. So we've worked on a lot of cultural events, you know, focusing on Bali, for example, and Hawley, and those have been great. But it's always kind of, for me, I've been throwing back to the team to go, you know, but how do things meet our purpose? How are we always bringing it back to the objective, the vision, why we exist? And I think, you know, it's an exciting time for us because we're, I feel like we're kind of on that cusp of, you know, change where all these new things can come in and be um, ideated and thrown out there and hopefully a lot more opportunities for us um, to work with other organizations and start amplifying ASAC and, and the South Asian women community in Australia. Thank you. I think it just perfectly gives a segue to the next point and how being South Asian women are looking to find support such as these because when we talk about work networks there's only so much that you have available but then outside of it you know this is really at, at that ground level support that uh, we are looking for I mean if I have to take my example I moved in Australia three years ago and I wish I knew about ASAC at that time smack in the middle of cold COVID and there was no new contacts no new people that I could reach out to to really figure out that hey you know, what am I doing? I'm in a new place. How do I settle down and how do I make my network or connect? So I think having communities and groups are so very important and so helpful for anyone to reach out. So um, coming to the topic of how we are really making real progress, several groups and institutes have talked about like equity and how equity acknowledges that everyone does not have the same starting point by virtue of differences in economic starting points or in educational starting points, there are some who have advantage over the others. We've dealt with equity at multiple levels uh, as a topic, but uh, how do you think workplaces or uh, you know groups such as yours are touch basing on uh, on this issue in terms of how can we embrace a culture of level playing field amongst the working women? Do you want me to jump in first, Daisy? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, for me, it's, it's 
the the million dollar question right so if we had the answer to that I think we'd be very much at that goal that we wanted to get to so for me really I think you know looking at my experience working in corporate organizations and how they're trying to you know bring gender equality and also diversity into the organization it does sometimes feel like a very tick box exercise so for me it's more about having clarity on what we're actually trying to affect change on so you know this idea of equity or not the idea of but the fact that we we don't have the equity you know against against our male peers or things like that um I think even just having that conversation so the deficit the deficit for me if I say the the yeah, the equality deficit, let's call it that, right? Uh, TM, I'm trademarking that one. So if we talk about the equality deficit, I think for me that really needs to be understood properly. And then if you look at, you know, by different um, communities and backgrounds and cultures, like it, it's not as simple as I think a lot of corporates try to make it, make it feel. And for me, sometimes, you know, taking part in these activities in the corporate world, it does feel inauthentic and it kind of actually has the opposite effect on me and it makes me disengage because if you're not showing to me that you're really taking the time to understand me my point of view and you know the people that have similar shared experiences or are sitting in at the same playing field as I am and then you're just going to come and tell me what I need and tell me that this is what you're doing about gender equality that's very disengaging for me so I think as a starting point, we really need to take the time to understand what the deficit looks like and how it can be so unique to different groups of people and then really understand what is needed and then build initiatives to meet that need. I don't see a lot of planning happening with, you know, the people that are in, in those organizations, for example, it's normally just a small committee that are like, oh, okay, this is a great idea. Let's just go and do that. I don't see any pre-work or pre-planning or outreach happening throughout the year. So if you're just going to take a couple of weeks before the, the date to have an event, that's not good enough for me personally <laughs> for me it's an ongoing program of work right you need a program of work in place you need to be collecting um you know collecting ongoing feedback from people about what is mattering to them what other you know hot topics that we want to address and how we're working to address that throughout the year and then maybe when it comes to IWD for example then you celebrate all the work that has been done rather than just putting on a morning tea and saying hey we're here because you know all of our lovely um, team decided to bring in a plate or something like that I, I, I don't know that's just kind of where I'm at um, I've recently changed organizations so and I'm quite happy to say that the new organization that I'm working for are taking more of an approach like that. They don't just have the one event for the day. They are looking at, you know, like, for example, liaison action plans and things like that. So you're building out a program of work with initiatives that you can work on and on an ongoing basis to understand what the requirements are of the people that are, you know, in the deficit, essentially, and, and supporting them. So I think that's how we really start building that equity for the groups that need it. Absolutely agree. And these these kind of programs are never 
to be run, I would say, coming from a corporate experience top down, because, you know, it's it's always then seen as a tick mark in the box. And that's not how organizations can really uh, define like an equal level playing field or creating that sense of belonging and inclusiveness, because then you're just doing a tokenism just for the sake of it. Sure. So, um, so Daisy, in terms of ASAC's presence and really encouraging women to, you know, find that confidence, is, are there programs that addresses that? Yeah, I guess with ASAC membership, but predominantly we do a lot of meetups. We have in the past done different workshops around this as well. We haven't done them last year, but the year before we did do workshops in this space, but we're slowly growing, so we'll be exploring more of that. But I think it's just, there's, we... Consciously, you know, choose our members who often will connect with each other over these things. It gives them a space to talk about these. And sometimes with our member meetups, if we are discussing something around work, people will bring this up and talk about it. And someone else there has gone through the same thing and can sort of give them that advice or share that kind of their own experience. It's much easier to be able to get guidance or learn off someone's experiences or who's gone through what you're going through. So I think in that sense, that's probably where members benefit. We have in the past in a range of, of, of different projects. One we partnered, partnered on was more a women's entrepreneurial program. We brought in someone to train to help. There was also another woman of color to help founders. Um, we've done some more trainings around working out your own sort of behavioral, they say personality type, but they're more like to use language behavioral type um, to work out what, what, you know, how do you, it's called the DISC framework. We have them. You probably are familiar with that. If you went to HR, we had uh, a workshop on that, helping uh, the women in our kind of community learn which one, it, which what are your strengths, what are your weaknesses, how do you use these, how do these show up? So we've done different workshops in that space. But yeah, I think mainly it's we create a, a membership space where we encourage people to discuss these. We focus on them adding each other on LinkedIn to make it a safe space to discuss these issues. And sometimes we'll just lead by example, like I'll kick off the conversation or uh, discussing some of the stuff that's happened with me in my workplace, which I've usually been quite open and transparent about. And I think that grants other people the permission to share. It might not always be, um, uh, people may not always want to do that in the public public room, but it, at least in a group like this, if you share, then it grants other people the permission to be like, oh shit, that's actually happening to me. I, sh- I should share it too. I've always been big on be authentic, share your story, even if it's in a group of people, something shitty happens to you in the workplace, share it. I think, I think people need, people need to know it. And I've had this with lots of different former employers, a lot of what, I mean, shower saying, um, you know, people would just put on a morning tea with no plan and it would really frustrate me. I remember a few years ago, um, a, a company I used to work at would receive a lot of grants and funding and in the grants and funding, they wrote that, you know, it's. A lot of the funding is for at least 50% for women and international um, uh, people from migrant backgrounds. And they pretty much dropped every person on that project that was a migrant or a woman. And it was just led by two executive guys. Millions of dollars of funding. And I was so mad. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, how do you have the... And, and what I loved is in that grant application, I remember reading, there was a part that said, um, you don't have to answer this question if it's not applicable to your project. Like you don't have to. This was an extra kind of diversity box. It was a federal government grant or something. Like, but, you know, provide me information if you are. If you have none, just keep this box. It wasn't even, I don't even know if it was a criteria. But they went ahead and put all this uh, information on how they will include. And, and I'm just amazed. I don't think that ever ended up happening. But this just happened so much. And I was just like mortified <laughs> when I found out. But I think speaking up about things like that is important. It's uncomfortable, but it, 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 tells people like that, that, Hey, this is, this is not okay. Another experience I remember having, having it a former employer place was 
applying for grants. We were always told we couldn't apply for grants. There was a particular grant um, to do with um, to, to, to empower migrant and refugee communities. And our whole our whole team was migrant women, pretty much the three of us at the time. And then we were told we couldn't apply for that grant because a different part of the organization was applying. And that whole organization was led by white males. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, do you see the, the, the you're telling us not to apply for this when we are the exact demographic that it is targeting and you would like to go for it? And yeah, I think I think there's a lot of odd things that happen um, like in the workplace of good to call them out. I just ignored them and applied anyway, but it took me five years to build that confidence. <laughs> I don't think I, one, I did it. You, one, I shoved my mouth, put my head down, did my work. You, two, you, three, four and five, I started to think, I think I've earned the privilege to put my foot down now. And it, yeah. the truth is you do have to not, um, you do have to take a stand and there are repercussions for those actions, which you, uh, like I had enough privilege to be like, oh, well, you know, if things go to that, well, I don't mind. I would always go elsewhere, but it, it takes a while. Sure. I think, um, um, they're coming from that experience. I do know that there are, there are still certain organizations who do realize that, you know, inauthentic actions can never give you the results that you want to. A lot of companies are looking inwards into having that feedback mechanism in place from the employee side. And these events and programs are now being run by employees and not just, you know, a top down kind of approach. So I think a lot of companies, but we still have a lot more to grow in that space, but I'm happy there's still some progress that's being made. So talking about collective activism is what we just touched briefly on that, like collective activism just definitely helps in driving change, whether it's at workplace or into your society or people around you. Uh, worldwide, we've seen uh, women are forging change in the communities through various ways of working, right from the initial days where women, women were not even allowed to participate in marathons. Women were not allowed mm. to be a part of leadership positions or glass ceiling. I and mean, we've talked about all that. So they've now forged change in various fields, whether it's agriculture or uh, construction or industries where didn't, we didn't even imagine things could work without having support from sisterhood and communities such as yours. How do we ensure that these women remain fearless, but also be a part of visionary and go forward ahead, further ahead and become, you know, important decision makers? Mm. So I'll probably just talk to my own experience here and let Daisy talk more to the oh. um, as the co-founder. Um, but I think it's quite interesting, right? And and I think we we have a lot of these conversations and we say it's always outward, like oh, they should be providing us the opportunities. With rightly so. I'm not saying that that's not correct, right? And 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 they should be, those should be made available to us. But I think if we flip that also, um, I think there's a lot of opportunity within our own community to educate and start having similar conversations about how we might be hindering our own progress as well. So if I think of my own experience, you know, I know my parents did the best that they could to give me all of those opportunities in a Western world. And I'm talking, I grew up in Fiji, so developing country, you know, not super Westernized, still very um, uh, majority Indian, uh, you know, community. So it was still running very old school. Um, so my parents were, you know, they were very, they were very particular about not sending me to an Indian school because there's always a lot of Indian schools. They wanted me to have the Western experience, I suppose. So um, I got teased a lot about it, of course, with all of my cousins. Um, but I think 
you know, there's a space that kind of exists where more can be done around education in the South Asian community on what equity is and what equality actually means and how our culture in quite a lot of instances is actually set up to counteract this. And, you know, I'm sure you both have had a lot of these experiences growing up as well. I don't know a single South Asian woman in this world that, that wouldn't have had these experiences. Um, so for me, it's really, you know, how can we start building the awareness and, and having education happening in our homes and within our families, um, along with the opportunities for, you know, our young South Asian girls from a very, very young age. And I'm talking like the one to five year olds, you know, how can we expose them to the idea of equality and equity um, at their level so they can digest and understand it so that as they grow up, you know, leaning back on what Daisy was talking about, how long it took her to build the confidence to finally start speaking up. Same experience I've had, you know. So why do we not have this confidence from the get-go? Because we're taught from the get-go that we should not have that confidence. And I think flipping that on its head is kind of like the turning point or, you know, that one little golden nugget of thing that you can do, which really will start driving cultural change. And if we can do that en masse, you know, um, that would be amazing. But I understand that that is a very, very hard thing to do and, you know, can lead to things like um, misunderstandings and breakdowns in the family institution. Um, so for me, it's really about how can we empower our young girls or our women now who are not feeling confident or safe enough to speak up, um, how can we empower them to be like, you know, no, I have the right to be here. I have the right to take up just as much space as anybody else does. And I have the right to equity, the right to equality, the right to all of these opportunities. And I should be able to speak up without feeling like I'm doing something wrong. So how can we really start building that in our girls from a very, very young age? So when they do, you know, get into uni or into schooling system and into, um, you know, work environments, they don't feel any type of way about, you know, asking the hard questions, challenging, obviously constructively, um, because, you know, it's still now at my age, challenging and I've been you know <laughs> very talkative young girl was always asking too many questions it's just the way that it is stop asking those questions so we need to stop saying that we need to be um nurturing the curiosity nurturing the talkativeness and encouraging that at a really really young age so all of the things that we've been told as as women that we should not be doing we should now be trying to encourage that how we change that culture I don't have the answer. And I think, um, you know, this might be a bit <laughs> bit dark, a bit morbid to say, but we do know, you know, this is going to happen kind of culturally on mass scale, um, you know, just at, at the humanity level. But, you know, looking at, at our generation kind of being dubbed as a generation that's breaking down those cycles, um, we, we will see the shifts happen one way or another more organically as the older generations kind of phase out, do you know what I mean? So you're seeing a lot more people standing up, you know, you're seeing uh, communities like ASAC and and so many others out there that are, that we're all working towards that goal of setting our younger selves up or the future generation of, you know, 
strong, empowered South Asian women um, to really be able to have all the opportunities that we potentially didn't because we were told we couldn't take that space up. Yeah. The more we talk about it, the more it helps for us to normalize that these topics are not something for us to be ashamed of. These are just normal conversations and uh, it's time that we take care of what's the noise that we carried in our minds right from the childhood about like, hey, you know, this is the right thing or that's the right way to go or this is I the wrong thing. Yeah. We're often raised, like what Shao was saying is well, we raise that respect and mm. obedience. Mm-hmm. The same thing. They're like synonymous. You can pull respect out and obedience. Like respect me is yeah. obey me. This is right. like mm-hmm. just what we were taught as kids, full stop. Yeah. Especially as exactly. women. Like it was like mm. in Punjabi women's Ganaman, listen to me. You know, yes. it's, it's yeah. the same. So it's I know I back chatted a lot. My whole life my mom was saying up until things I didn't stop back chatting, stop back. I'm like I answered your question. <laughs> you, yeah. or I, you said something that I was the black like, sheep of the family. I was like, I'm just correcting you. She's like, stop mm-hmm. correcting me. I was like, okay. Um, but yeah, this, oh, I had to unlearn this that respect isn't. Luckily, I rebelled. I, I Again, often I wonder Same. why. Am I this mm. way? And why are my some of my siblings different? There's four of us, and some of us are so me and my eldest so different, complete opposite. She would have obeyed, listened, suppressed, oppressed, you know, and very shy, inward. P- part of it just has to do with um how your personality is, but other parts of it, what gave you the permission to kind of defy. For me, I did mm. see friends around me that that, you know, modeled behavior that I thought, oh, there's nothing wrong with that. Um and so I guess I embodied that too. But yeah, I think we've got to remember that if, if you're raised in a whole environment where respect and obedience is the same, you take it in, ta- like in what ways are you taking that into your job? Like is For your sure. boss someone you're meant to respect or is your boss someone you're meant to obey? How do mm-hmm. you raise concerns in the workplace in a way that's like respectful but still raise, don't not raise them? And then other people just have a, you know, they don't want conflict at no matter what cost. Their personalities, you know, people have personalities that are anti-conflict. And for those, it's even mm. harder. I don't think mm-hmm. I've ever had that personality trait. I'm to have a ro- robust conversation. <laughs> but um, I, I've seen for others, it can be really like some of my closest friends, somehow I track my closest friends are all very anti-conflict. Like we've never had an argument. And I'll be like, no, I'll get in 10 years. Why? And they're like, oh, they're like, go with what I say. I'm like, hey, in my case, it won't be anti-conflict, but the nature of my job is to be a peacemaker. So at times, mm. You know, try and then you know maneuver around how you want to you know have those discussions without having yeah. Diplo- diplomacy. Diplomacy. Well, I've diplom- been called yeah, very yeah. Dipl- diplomatic as well, and and that's just how we learn, right? To navigate, yeah. navigate. And I think um, Amarjeet, you touched on kind of shame, and and yeah. you know that is so prevalent. You know the amount of shame and guilt that I personally carry because I feel like I've always been doing the wrong thing. And now only, you know, when you get to the age where you're finally an adult and you're like, hey, I'm actually grown now. I I don't have to, you know, abide by the respect, obedience, weird rule that we're all taught from a very young age that makes completely no sense. And, you know, you then start finding your voice. And it is easier, I think, if you're an extrovert because, you know, we do have that tendency to just not listen. Um, but, but you know, I always think about how even that then plays into it. You know, it's not easy to say, like you said, one size fits all. So how can we create these opportunities to empower 
for all types of women and all types of cultures and um and and then really start addressing the equity problem that we have and if you had to like go back to your childhood and then take <laughs> one thing that could have really kind of you know pivoted how you look at opportunities or how you look at growth what would what behavior could have I think is to pursue things that I enjoyed over what I thought I had to do to get to be successful or stable in life. Like yeah. I think all of my high school subjects that I did, I didn't want to do them. They were the prerequisites for medicine and my mother insisted I be a dentist. So I, like I was so good. I ducked history in high school and I dropped it because I thought my mom, my parents were like, nobody cares about history. And like same with English. I almost, I was like second or third in the class. Um, but I, I barely put any effort in because I thought, oh, I need to really get, pick up my game in chemistry and like advanced maths. And yeah, and I, I took this into uni. I, when I changed degrees, I studied finance. I don't regret it now, but I have no interest in finance. God forbid I do anything finance associated. God, don't make me do that. But I thought this will be a useful skill to have. And a lot of my, maybe this is just part of, I don't know, the immigrant hustle, learn things that are useful that will employ you and make you money. Um, but yeah, so I think, for me, it was things that I loved that I was good at. I would um, wish that they were nurtured more, but also just have pursued them a bit harder. Like I'm coming back around to writing now. But there's so mm. much insecurity there because it wasn't yeah. something like my writing was kind of laughed at, joked at, family just thought, oh, what's this poetic stuff you write? Like go do essay, you know, do something that, yeah. So I think coming back to that now, finally, I'm like almost 30, um, but I wish it was something, yeah, that I did more when I was younger. You got to channel that bear shut um, you know, energy <laughs> and 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 just just break through that shame, I think, Daisy. But for me, exactly the same. Exactly the same. So, you know, there's doctor, lawyer, whatever, engineer, um, were the options that you kind of had to pursue. Um, I wanted to be a musician. I was told not gonna put food on the table. So I didn't pursue it. I did it all through high school and then when I was told I couldn't do it. I just quit school. <laughs> so I was like, if you're not going to give me the option to pursue what I want to, I'm not going to pursue anything. Um, I've been very blessed that that hasn't hindered me though. But um, yeah, I think I'm on the same vein as Daisy. And then now it's kind of, you know, wanting to go back to those things that really, really lit that fire inside of you, um, but feeling so insecure about it and, and having so much shame attached to it because you've been told that, you know, you won't be good enough. So how can how can we change that conversation and provide opportunities for kids to explore? You know, I mean, I didn't even know what I really wanted to do work-wise or what I was passionate about until I hit my 30s. So how are you expecting me to make those massive decisions before I'm even 25? Like, yeah, it's just Absolutely. a whole, That's yeah. The parental pressure is what we've all experienced, you know, at some stage. And uh, in my case, I was almost like engaged and was set off to get married and then settled down. Right during, uh, you know, the courtship time, I was told that, hey, you know, you can pursue your master's, but you're going to just cook rotis at home. You're not going to be working. So that was it. You know, that was the sign, final sign. I said, okay, I'm not going ahead with this. Now you can get a magic roti maker. I'm yeah, going. Get your magic yeah. roti maker. I'm not going to be sitting at your home and making rotis for you. And I think you yeah, always okay. find that support system. For me, it was my brother who was my biggest support system, my advocate. So I think 
you find your way around if you know. And now being a mom of a 14-year-old, I want to make sure that uh, I'm not trying to force my ways of doing things. She has her own personality. And I think it's time for us to break that generational practice and be more acceptable as parents. So I think uh, that's how it's going to define the future. It takes a lot of self-awareness. It takes all the stuff with you. It's like yeah. what behaves, like if you have a certain inkling or if you feel shame or you feel anger at something, you're like, where is this coming from? Why am I ashamed of this? You're like, oh, my, ma- yeah. my mother or my father said this when I was younger. Everything yeah. I think has some, like there's been some experience you've had and then this is your response mechanism. But I feel yes. like it requires a lot of self-awareness. Like a lot of people think, oh, you know, women, it's fine. We, we have no issues now. And it's like, when you really dig deep, those people don't have that self-awareness to realise how they perpetuate the things that they say that don't exist. <laughs> so I think it does require a lot of that. It just shows that how much difference a little effort can make. And uh, in your community, all members, South Asian women are just holding space for one another and really, you know, coming together to celebrate each other and share stories and learn from there, which is amazing. Thank you so much for sharing a part of that story with me today. And before I wrap up, just a last quick question. What's your current jam of the day? What you listening to? You're putting me on the spot. I was <laughs> I was I was I was about to just play this um I have this South Asian music playlist on my Okay. I can't think of the exact song off it, but I just have that on repeat playing. It's kind of like lo-fi, but with lyrics and South Asian. <laughs> Amazing. Mm. Okay. That's always a go-to music, right? Uh, yeah. um, for me, I don't have a particular jam, but I actually spontaneously went to the Snoop Dogg concert on Monday. Okay. I've, I've been walking around saying that it's changed my mind because you know what? If there's one guy that has no shame, <laughs> it's him. Like we all need to channel our so what Snoop Dogg energy I'm telling you I'm telling you so for me it's really just like now like you know made me start listening to all my 90s hip-hop vibes again so that's that's where I'm at Dog and uh, you know the famous quote that just strong women maybe know them maybe be them and maybe raise them thank for you so sure. much Alvina and Daisy for your time really appreciate the chats today and hoping that we continue the journey and then continue helping the community and people out there hoping to be a part of all the future events of ASAC um, are there any upcoming events uh, uh, come Daisy Shalvina that you want to share with listeners yeah. here we, we have a brown women comedy which is our Shao has to jump off but I'll share that with you thanks Shao thank you so much Amaji thank you for having me thank you so much we have Brown Women Comedy, which is our uh, comedy show. We're doing six shows at Melbourne International Comedy Festival. And we have the largest lineup of South Asian women comedians in Australia. And, yeah, last year it was completely sold out. So we love to explore ways to use, I guess, entertainment, comedy, the arts as a vehicle for um, some of the work we want to do, particularly with comedy. I think last, you know, some of our comedians make jokes about coming out um, to their parents, about their divorce, you know, destigmatizing these topics through comedy. There's nothing that you can't work through um, when you have humor involved, I think. So yeah, that's called Brown Women Comedy. That's in April. Um, and then we we do, do our general member meetups. We're all going out for a dinner before the Ruby Core show as well, which should be fun. But yeah, there are two sort of upcoming things at the moment. So for anyone looking to join ASA community, head over to their Instagram and Facebook page and get to know more. Thank you so much, Daisy, for your time today. I really appreciate all that you had to share with our listeners today.
Awesome. Thank you so much, Amarjeet. Thank you. Have a good rest of your day. Thank you so much. All right, listeners, here we go with our International Women's Day special episode discussing everything under the roof to help support women pave their path to success, right from challenging stereotypes that have been passed on from generations in our families to really finding that voice to know and connect to deeper self and to join communities such as AZAC and gain confidence being part of sisterhood and shared and loved experiences. This is Amarjeet Sharma signing off. Have a great day or evening ahead. Thank you.